Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. <clears throat> so what we'll do today is, because uh, we're actually on, yeah, verse 15, but I'll just give a quick summary of 15 to 30, um, and you can read it at your leisure if you haven't done so already, and then we'll start with, uh, I believe it's verse 30. So, you know, briefly what happens is that uh, Dhruva takes up his arms to uh, fight the yakshas, and we, we, we know that a little bit from the last uh, class. And he's actually becoming quite successful <laughs> at it and uh, defeating them hands down. But then just as he, 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 he just has this thought that, oh, they have these mystic powers uh, that can do all kinds of tricky stuff. So I should be careful about that. And then just as he's thinking about that, that's what happens. And, uh, and this uh, incredible you know, illusion of, of um, uh, enemies are there in front of him, and he actually becomes quite, uh, you know, it's quite a powerful um, attack that the yakshas, uh, <clears throat> thank you, that the yakshas have on um, on Druva. And so, what hap- What's really significant, uh, I was thinking, is this uh, text. Uh, Let's see, where am I? Oops, wrong chapter. Text 30, I believe, is the last verse. Just getting it on my computer. Yes, text 30. And so the sages, they, they, the, great, the great rishis, they're seeing this and they want to help a devotee, basically. They want to come to Dhruva's rescue. And so uh, in, uh, yes, in 29 it says, when the great sages heard that Dhruva Maharaj was overpowered by the illusory mystic tricks of the demons. They immediately assembled to offer him auspicious encouragement. And then in text 30, uh, the rishis say, Dear Druva, O son of King Uttanupad, may the Supreme Personality of God, known as Shangadhanva, who relieves the distresses of his devotees, kill all your threatening enemies. Then, he, then they say, how? The holy name of the Lord is as powerful as the Lord himself. Therefore, simply by chanting and hearing the holy name of the Lord, many men can be fully protected from fierce death without difficulty. Thus, a devotee is saved. And Prabhupada writes, the great Rishis approached Dhruva Maharaj at a time when his mind was very perplexed due to the magical feats exhibited by the yakshas. A devotee is always protected by the Supreme Personality of Godhead. By his inspiration only, the the sages came to encourage Dhruva Maharaj and assure him that there was no danger because he was a soul fully surrendered to the Supreme Lord. By the grace of the Lord, if a devotee at the time of death can simply chant his holy name, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Simply by chanting this Maha Mantra, he immediately surpasses the great ocean of the material sky and enters the spiritual sky. He never has to come back for repetition of birth and death. Simply by chanting the holy name of the Lord, one can surpass the ocean of death. 
So Dhruva Maharaj was certainly able to surpass the illusory magical feats of the yakshas, which for the time being um, disturbed his mind. So it's, it's kind of reminiscent of that, uh, that beautiful verse that Prabhupada liked to quote so much um, from King Kula Shekhar, Krishna. Let me see if I can... Uh, Krishna Tvadiya Parapankaja Pancharantam Adhyayva Me Vishatumana Saraja Hangsa Prana Prayana Samaye Kapavata Pitai Kandava Rodhana Vidho Smaranam Kutaste Prabhupada liked this uh, prayer very much. My dear Lord, I pray that the swan of my mind, listen to this metaphor, the swan of my mind may immediately sink down to the stem of the lotus flower. Uh, uh, this, oh, well, rather, to the, lo- the stems of the lotus feet of your lordship. So uh, Prabhupada mentions elsewhere in the Bhagavad Gita that swans like to um, play with um, lotus flowers and really like stick their head in them. And <laughs> it's kind of their, their enjoyment to do that. Mm-hmm. And, be, and then <laughs> here it says, be locked in that network. Otherwise, at the time of my final breath, when my throat is choked up with, up with cough, how will it be possible to think of you? This is uh, from the Mukunda Malastotra. So when we, uh, when we chant Krishna's names, it brings us into Krishna's association. And also... That means under his protection, right? So really, in one sense, if we're really absorbed, what difficulty can, be, can come to a devotee if they're absorbed in chanting the holy names? And if we think about that, you know, we, we think about relative shelters, right? Like uh, there was that, that, that straight-edge band called Shelter, right? Henry, you're well familiar with that, yeah. Yeah. Um, so we can compare shelters, right? Because who was it uh, who said that uh, uh, religion is the opiate of the people? Yeah, I think it was Len. I think it was Lenin. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, or or that that religion is a crutch, right? Like you, when you break your leg, you have a crutch. So th- that um, may be. Both of them may be right, but they they may be they may they may quote those things in uh, quote those sayings in a kind of demeaning way. But like so many things uh, we we read in the Vedic literature, you can also take it in a positive way. So the question is: Is it a good crutch? And um, what are the where else can you buy a crutch? What are the other what are the other crutches available in the marketplace, right? And then you could you, that, that would be one of a uh, challenge that a devotee can make to someone, right? That okay, so you say that it's like God is like a crutch, right? Uh, so, what 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 is what are the options, right? Uh, the uh, what what is the what, the example given that it, like trying if you're stuck in the ocean and there's a dog that's swimming very well, and you hang on to the tail of the dog, thinking that that dog will bring you to safety. Right? That's not a very good crutch. Right? So, our, is our own uh, prowess our crutch? Is our intelligence our crutch? 
is um, our longevity, which is so short, right? So um, if we think about what, you know, usually people, um, we have, you know, modern culture has really uh, given us some things that kind of give us the, a, the illusion of safety, right, or, or shelter. Just like, uh, you know, practically most of us can't leave home without this. Right? If you don't have your phone with you, you feel that you know a major part of you is missing, right? Or um, another, I think, do I have my? Yeah, another real crutch, right? Is uh, credit cards, <laughs> right? Because you think, oh, okay, I got my credit cards with me, it's all good, right? Or, or even more important, perhaps, is the bank balance, right? You look at your bank balance, oh, okay. Um, so there's different crutches in this world and uh, different shelters. Um, but at death, the real test comes. And because it, it's such a, uh, for a person who's attached to this world, it's such a challenging situation because everything for your entire life that you've considered reality and considered important and developed an attachment to, it's all going to go. And you don't know, you have no idea where you're going afterwards. Right? So it's such a uh, scary proposition. For a devotee, um, it doesn't have to be scary at all. Right? A devotee sees, uh, like Srila Prabhupada said, when he was in Calcutta and they were, they were, they had a blackout, right, because there were those bombings. And so he just saw that, well, maybe Krishna's coming as death in the form of these bombs. Hare Krishna. <laughs> right. So um, our shelter, we, so we say at least theoretically accept that the shelter is in Krishna's name and then take shelter and see, what, see how you feel. And that's why ultimately Prabhupada told devotees to always be chanting. I told you that story, right, that... When Buri Jumper was on a long flight with Prabhupada, and the devotees, it was the first time he had flown with him, so the devotees said, listen, when you're with Prabhupada, it's really good if you're always chanting. So he was just, he said he chanted every bhajan he knew, the maha mantra, and he was singing even so much that the person in the seat behind him said, stop that chanting. <laughs> so he had it. And then at the end uh, of the flight, Prabhupada turned to his servant and said, uh, did you notice that Burijan was chanting all the time? He said, this is a very good habit. You should adopt this habit. <laughs> so the, uh, and therefore, Lord Chaitanya says, Kirtaniya Sadahari. To, uh, so that's, that's uh, a shelter. So the sages here, they are coming as a shelter. We say that, right? That you can really, one way that you know you're getting Krishna's mercy is when you get the association of devotees. Right? That's one of the, Shows that devote, someone's getting Krishna's mercy, and then what? To, what do the devotees do? They uh, remind him about devotional service and chanting the holy names. So, any thoughts, questions, comments? Yes, one second, microphone for Nanamuki. Hare Krishna. Yeah, it's on. Hare Krishna. Yep, it's on. Um, so I just uh, um, think about the relative shelter. Uh-huh. 
Um, I think, um, yes, it's exactly, because in, specifically in modern science, we are interested in finding something objective. Right. And so um, if we think what is a more objective goal or meaning for life, it is uh, not really dependent on the current circum- circumstances. Okay. Because sometimes we think that I can do this and I can do that. For example, um, a computer scientist, he may think that I can make a very brilliant computer program. Right. But once the circumstances shut down, like there is crisis over the world or there is no electricity, right. and then he cannot fulfill that purpose of his life. Mm. It's dependent so, on something else. So, so he has to search something more meaningful or eternal mm. that can motivate him to wake up in the morning. Very good. Yes, because we're going to talk about that in a few minutes, about how the time factor uh, constantly changes things. Right? Nothing, you don't, nothing stays the same because of the time factor. Right? Um, for those of us who have children, you know, that, those, the, those, that toddler is no longer... Look at Govind. He's no longer a toddler. <laughs> Right? It's because of the time factor. Right? It constantly changes it constantly uh changes things. Henry, I'm sure twenty years ago you never would have dreamed of moving out of your house. The time factor pushed you to in another direction. Right? And uh and so the so, you know, well I was gonna talk about it later, but uh you know that in one sense you could say that's the time factor also that that Let's say there's an electrical crisis, or or, or even you know you uh, there's a commercial. I forget what the commercial is even for. Well, probably I think it's Geico or something like that. But anyway, this you know mad scientist is has this huge blackboard, right? And he's writing all over it, and then the cleaning person comes and starts <laughs> starts wiping down the uh, the the, bo- the bottom part. He's on a ladder working on things, and the bottom part of the mathematical equations being erased. So, so the time factor affects us in uh, in this world. It's all powerful. So, where isn't it? It's all powerful. It's all powerful. All these, uh, you know, if you follow sports, all these uh, great baseball players that are playing right now in the World Series, in some years from now, they're going to be in the old timers game, as they call it, <laughs> right? Where they have all put on fifty pounds, and they, you know. They throw out the first pitch, and they can barely make it to the <laughs> catcher, right? You know, the time factor just marches on, marches on. So, and it's, is there anything as powerful as a time? I can't, I, I don't think there's anything as powerful as a time factor in this world. Right? It just is relentless. As much as I'd like to still be 19 years old, all the gray hairs, 60 years old. And I'm like, wow, how did that happen? It was a force of the time factor, right? Even Srila Prabhupada writes in the Bhagavad Gita that, uh, you know, that we, everyone dies. Even, he says, the would-be children of your children. Right? Jatasya hi druvam mitru, druvam jammam ritasya cha. 
right? Uh, that's, that's the nature of this world. Something that takes birth, death is certain, and vice versa. One who dies, birth is certain. Therefore, the unavoidable discharge of your duty, you should not lament. That's that verse. So yeah, thank you for that. Uh, the time factor affects. So we have to find, so we're looking for a shelter that is greater than the time factor. If the time factor is the most powerful thing in this world, in this world, right? That's, so, uh, you know, um, what's more powerful than that? Or who's more powerful than that? And so, of course, we, we know that Krishna says that, you know, time comes from him, right? And it's, it's just a small, small energy compared to Krishna. So we take shelter of the creator of the time factor. Makes sense? Otherwise, it marches on, marches on, you know? Uh, we were talking about this in class yesterday. Again, I'm get a little detour, but uh, um, how our culture in, in America, and it's, more, it's becoming more and more so even in India now, that, um, you know, Krishna says birth, death, disease, and old age, right? That these are the, uh, these are the factors that are unavoidable. But you don't so much, first, you don't see old age that much, right? Just like here in, um, in Potomac, anyone, uh, you know Falls Road takes a curve at Bullis, at the school in Bullis, anyone take Falls Road, right? So if you, if you, if you don't take that curve, you can go straight. Uh, hidden behind, next to the golf course, is a uh, assisted living uh, facility. My mother used to be in that, so I, I know it well. And if you go in there, you really start seeing the reality of old age. Uh, mo most of the people, their memories are very weak or non-existent, right? Uh, and then, um, you know, like we have our Sham Krishna Prabhu here paying obeisances, but how many people see what he sees in terms of disease? Most of us don't go to hospitals every day and see the, you know, the challenges that people face. Right? So we kind of file these away. So when we go out you know, to, uh, to work or to, um, you know, to the mall or whatever, we see people who are relatively healthy usually, right? Because those aren't, you know, but we, the large part of the population that is very, very old or ill, we don't see in this country. You know, they're kind of set aside. So um, we might, we, we, it's easier to get into that illusion that, oh, everything's okay. Anyway, this plays into a lot of things, which I was going to give a Sunday class on this, uh, about how we have to have realistic expectations of this world, right? Because, because, you, because you see every, everything seems to be okay, you wake up the next day, you're still healthy and all that, you kind of get the expectation that things are supposed to go pretty well. But that's not what Krishna says in the Gita. He says, anityam asukam loka. He says, that it's a temporary place and, it, and it's full of miseries. Of course, he also then gives the really good news. Right? The good news, you take shelter of him, you're free from anxieties, the, even the, the challenges of this world don't affect you like they affect someone who's not a devotee. And ultimately, punarjanmanaiti, after this life, no more janma. So anyway, that was a bit of a distraction there, but yes? So um, 
when exactly we should take shelter uh, comparatively uh, on this uh, verse that dhruva maharaj he already decided to fight with ekshas and when he saw the when he saw the all this illusion and like he was bewildered and at that moment uh, the devotees are uh, reminding him about to take the shelter so in real life too that like um, you know i understand that we should always take shelter uh, is that something that giving up uh, the action that we supposed to do um, or uh, Th- th- that in that area i'm i'm, I'm actually uh, confused prabhu exactly if you are not able to do that work then like you What take shelter means like he's fighting and then like he's feeling the problem and then like uh-huh. he's taking shelter so uh, when i it's just for him yes so yeah. is it something like in our real life that we, how we should take shelter if you have to take action and you you are not able to do the work and then like you take shelter no <laughs> uh yes and here let me read something uh from uh unveiling his lotus feet the difficulties we each face are the tests that allow us to assess our own consciousness right so whenever so there's difficulties and you know in this world anything can be uh, agitate our mind right someone can cut us off in traffic and that can be a test our bosses mean to us that can be a test our sports team doesn't win that can be a test there can be you know there can be there's different levels but the reality is that even what may as an outsider seem like a small test to someone who's going through it it may be a big one so the difficulties we each face are tests that can allow us to assess our consciousness each day we see ourselves seeking shelter whenever whenever we face trouble perplexity or hardship These tests show where we perceive our shelter to be while simultaneously suggesting whether we need to take remedial measures in our spiritual life. So we we take maybe we maybe we don't think like this so much but we um when something you know happens that we we take we do take shelter is it of our intelligence is it of our physical strength is it of Lord Krishna right So the idea is that um you know Arjuna turned to Krishna. And he of course he had a very big difficulty but we you know he, we 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 can um our difficulties may be of a different ca- uh, quantity but still the uh the test is there. So the idea is that we should and that's what that's how our life becomes kind of fun or exciting or interesting because you know we we can be, all day long be thinking about how can i take more shelter of krishna how can i be more spiritual in this how can i or you know looking at it like we discussed uh, last week how can i be take more shelter of the spiritual energy krishna says daivim prakritim asrita asrita means shelter and uh in this in this context of that verse daivim prakritim means the spiritual energy or meaning krishna so we can um pick up our beads we can say a prayer in our mind uh you know because if you're at work you can't just start going hari krishna hari krishna 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 hari ram ram um but you know we can um take a minute right most of us probably have uh the uh bhagavad gita or the shastra on our phone right or if not you can go to the website you know uh, vedabase.com and you know 
and just read a verse or two. So there's different ways to take shelter. Prashadam's a good shelter. Just like, when in doubt, to have some halava. <laughs> That's offered to Krishna. <laughs> Is that all right? Okay, shall we go on to the next chapter? Okay, text number one. So the chapter is entitled Swayambhuva Manu. How is he related to Dhruva? Grandfather, Grandfather yes. <laughs> Advises Dhruva to stop fighting. Sri Maitreya said, My dear Vidura, when Dhruva Maharaj heard the encouraging words of the great sages, he performed the Achmana, right? And we, we have, you take some water and you say, Om Keshavayano, right? Like that, Achmana, by touching water, and then took up his arrow made by Lord Narayan, and fixed it upon bow. So Dhruva Maharaj purport was given a specific arrow made by Lord Narayan himself, and he now fixed it upon his bow to finish the illusory atmosphere created by the Yakshas. It is stated in Bhagavad Gita, Mam eva ye parpadyante mayametam tarantite. Without Narayan, the Supreme Person, Narayan or Krishna, same. Uh, no one is able to overcome the action of the illusory energy. Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu has also given us a nice weapon for this age, as stated in the Bhagavatam, Sangopangastra. Astra means weapon, right? Sangha means association. Uh, the, to drive away Maya, it is the chanting of the Hare Krishna mantra in pursuance of the associates of Lord Chaitanya, such as Advaita Prabhu, Nityananda, Gadadhar, and Shivas. So I was thinking about this when I read this last night. Uh, yeah, last night I went to Silver Spring where we uh, did Harinam Sankirtan, where we were chanting on the street um, opposite the movie theater. It's very, very busy. It's at IMAX and very busy. So a lot of people heard the chanting. And we were giving out some prasadam and, and, and some of Srila Prabhupada's books. And I was thinking, so that's one of the uh, astras, you could say, right, of giving people a chance to hear the holy name and take some prasadam. And, and I can see some of the, some of the kind of like uh, people that looked, I don't know, you know, you can't judge a book by its cover, but look kind of like intellectual or like that or whatever. You know, they were like, no, no, thank you, right? But, so we, but then I was thinking, okay, well, Garuda Prabhu is in the temple room right now speaking, you know, he's a Harvard graduate and, uh, you know, professor uh, at a prestigious university. And he's speaking about uh, Krishna's pastime. So certain people might not want to get some prasadam on the streets of Silver Spring, but might come to a lecture by a Harvard professor, right? And then I also thought, well, there's other people. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's Saturday night. Many devotees in their homes are having programs, right? And that's another opportunity. So there's different ways to, um, to do this sang, sango pangastra, different ways to attract different kinds of people. To, uh, to the chanting of the Holy Name and to the philosophy of Bhagavad Gita. We have different uh, means, but they all you know, have a similar goal. You know, and then there's, there's uh, Gopi Manjari with her yoga studio and the, and, and the, kind, the client, kind of clientele that she attracts there. Right? So, you know, the, uh, different shlokes for different folks. Right? So, anyway, any thoughts on this? This is a, a, uh, a theme, obviously, if we've been reading Prabhupada's books now, that comes up again and again. Ultimately, when he, when he starts talking about yajyas, uh, sacrifices that were performed in bygone ages, he'll always say, well, in this yuga, it becomes very simple. You just chant the holy names. 
Anything? Okay. Text number two. As soon as Dhruva Maharaj joined the Narayana Astra arrow to his bow, the illusion created by the Yakshas was immediately vanquished. Just as all material pains and pleasures are vanquished when one becomes fully cognizant of the self. Even as Dhruva Maharaj fixed the weapon made by Narayan Rishi unto his bow, arrows with golden shafts and feathers like the wings of a swan flew out of it. They entered the enemy soldiers with a great hissing sound, just as peacocks enter a forest with tumultuous crowing. So I was thinking when I read this, uh, it crossed my mind that um, the first thing that came to my mind was Harry Potter movies, right? Where the you know the, the like the that that what's that Quidditch, right? That that ball has like <laughs> wings on it and all that stuff, right? You know that some someone who you know uh, picks what is it Pixar? Is that the name of the company? They, you know, they could create a great movie out of, uh, out of this, you know, uh, arrows with golden shafts and feathers like the wings of a swan, right? <laughs> it could be quite fascinating. Those sharp arrows dismayed the enemy soldiers who became almost unconscious, but various yakshas on the battlefield in a rage against Dhruva Maharaj somehow or other collected their weapons and attacked. Just as serpents agitated by Garuda rushed towards Garuda with upraised hoods, all the Yaksha soldiers prepared to overcome Dhruva Maharaj with their upraised weapons. When Dhruva Maharaj saw the Yakshas coming forward, he immediately took his arrows and cut the enemies to pieces. Separating their arms, legs, heads, and bellies from their bodies, he delivered the Yakshas to the planetary system which is situated above the sun globe and which is attainable only by first-class brahmacharis who have never discharged their seven. So a few points here. First one, we really got to read carefully so that we don't miss, you know, because when Prabhupada writes, he, he, uh, you have to, to understand him, you have to take things in context, right? So if we say, so here he says, killing therefore is not always bad. So take that first sentence. That means it generally is, right? right? It's not always bad. And then he goes to explain um, if the killing is done by the Supreme Personality of Godhead or his devotee, or in great sacrifices, it is for the benefit of the entity killed in that way. So we know that, in, for example, in the battlefield of Kurukshetra, it's part of Krishna's lila, and therefore the, the uh, soldiers that died in the battle of Kurukshetra, they attained the spiritual world because they died with Krish, in Krishna's presence. That's the power of, of, of Krishna. Um, now, the tricky thing here is it says, or his devotees. So don't think, okay, I'm a devotee, I can go kill somebody, and they're really going to get benefited. No, <laughs> that's, not, that's not what the conclusion here. Here, he's just mentioning the fact that Dhruva, such a, an exalted devotee, but also it says that um, anyone who's killed in a righteous war uh, attains heaven, not the spiritual world. But uh, here it says Satyaloka or Brahmaloka. Right, but at least the you know, um, so the the chetra is very. It's like therefore, Prabhupada was so. Um, he came to America during the Vietnam War, right, and he just would say things that it was so such a uh, Kali Yuga war because people you know there was when the draft was going on, right. So if you, um, it was a scary time for me because my brother was six years older than me, and. Um, 
at one time, I think almost everyone his age was drafted, but then towards the end of the war, there was a um, lottery system. And it, depending on um, what it dates came up first, you would be more likely to be drafted or less likely. So I remember that day when they were doing the lottery and announcing the dates. There was so much anxiety in our house because, you know, my brother, who, you know, and people like him had no desire to go to war. You know, and no training, no, no, no martial spirit whatsoever, right? You know, as the song went, put down your books and pick up a gun because we're going to have a whole lot of fun. You know, it was being sarcastic. Um, um, whereas the country is, they wanted to go to a war because either they were, uh, they, you know, they weren't not, they might have been great spiritualists, but they understood that they weren't their body. And they understood that if I die on the battlefield, I go to heaven. If I live, uh, if I live, that means I won and I, you know, I enjoy the, the spoils, so to speak. Not necessarily totally spiritual, but, you know, they had that conscience. So they were like, oh, hey, there's a war. Yahoo, right? It's it, not Yahoo, perhaps, but it, they were, there was enthusiasm and there was even this martial spirit where there was appreciation for the other, you know, and even so much that they would fight during the day and then they could even eat together at night with the enemies. You know, it was a totally different... Uh, Totally different, very hard for us. In general, it's hard for um, us to understand what happened in a different time. Even, even something much, 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 much more recent, right? Like, uh, you know, uh, I, I, I'm not taking sides on this argument, so that's not the point, but like people will criticized, for example, like someone like Thomas Jefferson. He seemed like such an egalitarian person and all that, but he had slaves, right? But I think it's, it's challenging for us to try to put ourselves into that time and space and think that maybe we would have done anything different, right? You know, or, or um, what I find, I, I spend a lot of time um, in, uh, on Native American reservations in Montana and Idaho and South Dakota and North Dakota. And uh, so some of the elders, the elders are very respected in, in the Native American culture. And some of the elderly men, they'll, they'll, they'll like refer to women, oh, those, they're nice girls, right? Uh, or, or honey, come over here. And, and, you know, in Washington, D.C., if you call someone, you know, someone who's an adult a girl or call them honey, <laughs> you might uh, be uh, subject to an investigation, right? Because you're not allowed to use those kind of words in the workplace, but in a different culture, you know. And what to speak of, like I, myself living my, the first uh, 29 years of my life in America and then moving to India and living there for 21 years, it took me a long time to, under, to, to develop an appreciation and an understanding of that culture. And even India, you can't just say is one culture, right? Is Bengal like Gujarat? Anyone from India? No? They're different. Aren't they different? Right? The food is different, right? Right? Or, um, or, or even South India where they don't even speak Hindi, right? They speak Tamil or something like that, right? It's a different culture than uh, Himachal Pradesh, right? So what to speak of hundreds of thousands of years ago <laughs> in, in, with Dhruva Maharaj. So it's something, I think, to be, uh, to, to be aware of as we're reading this. So, okay, let's continue. Uh, material so-called nonviolence is, not very, is very insignificant in comparison 
to killing done by the Supreme Personality of God or his devotees. Again, um, this is, let's, let's face it, this is a, that's a challenging statement, right? Because in the name of God, some terrible violence has happened, right? Can't we, can we all agree on that, right? The, some of the crusades and, right, and, uh, and, and or even, um, you know, what happened over this weekend in the synagogue in, uh, I don't know if it was in the name of God, perhaps, but it was, it, you know, there was, you know, it was against another religion, right, in the synagogue in Pittsburgh, things like that. So, um, so in this context, in the modern context, you can't always say, oh, you know, because people can use the excuse of God and do all kinds of terrible things. But that doesn't still take away from the fact that Krishna, the all-loving, supreme personality of God, when he creates a chivalrous uh, pastime, then the people in that are benefited. And that just, you know, but it doesn't necessarily translate into today. Uh, even when a king or the state government kills a person who is a murderer, that killing is for the benefit of the murderer, for thus he may become cleared of all sinful reactions. Now, this is interesting also, right, because you know, it's, it's certainly another debate in modern society about capital punishment, right? But it's rare. I don't think I've ever heard anyone use this argument, <laughs> that karmically they're relieved of that sin of killing someone else, Right, so we're we're saying generally it is sinful to kill someone. Right, we don't even eat. You know, we don't. We you know we we're we're so nonviolent. Uh, Ahimsa is mentioned four times in Bhagavad Gita, right? Nonviolence, and in the Mahabharata, there's this saying, um, Ahimsa paramo dharma, dharma. The highest dharma is nonviolence, and that's interesting because that's in the Mahabharata where there's so many wars, <laughs> right? Um, so uh, this would probably take some convincing to people and of course the other trick in modern society is to make sure that the person who is on death row really did the crime right? because that, that, that's of course a terrible thing if someone is, is sentenced to death or just stays on death row for 40 years and actually they're innocent right? that's, that's another thing so uh, so the point being here in, in, this, in a tricky paragraph like this is to look at it from a, a broad perspective. So any questions on this? Okay. So don't, you all understand you're not going to go out and kill anyone today? Yeah. yeah. Even, you know, um, don't hit a deer or, you know. Um, uh, there, there's a nice story of Peter Burwash. Um, so Peter is a professional, well, he was. He was a professional tennis player. And then he came in contact with Krishna consciousness. And uh, actually, Srila Prabhupada spent uh, a lot of time with him and told him specifically that what I want you to do is spread vegetarianism around the world. So one time, Peter was playing in a, in a major uh, tennis tournament. And he was uh, getting close to serving for match point, if you know about tennis. And there were some ants there. So he moved his whole angle of where he was serving from so he wouldn't step on the ants. And he actually ultimately lost the match. But he said it was the most wonderful defeat he ever had because he felt that he was following Prabhupada's instructions <laughs> by, uh, by avoiding the ants on the, on the clay court. <laughs> 
Okay, so now the next sentence, the next paragraph. An important word in this verse is urdva rechasaha, which means brahmacharis, celibate students who have never discharged semen. Celibacy is so important that even though one does not undergo any austerities, penances, or ritualistic ceremonies prescribed in the Vedas, if one simply keeps himself a pure brahmachari, not discharging his semen, the result is that after death, he goes to the satyaloka. So you read that and you think, again, context is so important. You read that and say, wow, it's so important. This is so important. But then you've got to go a few sentences down. The word urdva rechasa specifically indicates the mayavadi sannyasis, so people who are not devotees of Krishna, who undergo strict principles of austerity. But in the Bhagavad Gita, the Lord says that even if one goes up to Brahmaloka, because it's not the spiritual world, it says, right? It says Satyaloka. Satyaloka, Brahmaloka, the same thing. He again comes back, Abrahma Bhuvana Loka, Punaravartinorjana. Therefore, actual mukti, liberation, can be attained only by devotional service, because by, devo- by devotional service, one can go above Brahmaloka to the spiritual world, wherefrom he never comes back. Mayavadi sannyasis are very proud of becoming liberated, but actual liberation is not possible unless one is in touch with the Supreme Lord in devotional service. It is said, Harim vinana mritum taranti. Without Krishna's mercy, no one can have liberation. So, uh, and we, I think we may have talked about this before. So let's say there was a, a, a Mayavadi or an impersonalist sannyasi, let's say, you know, maybe we'll give him a name, Swami Nikilananda, right? And he's been uh, uh, practicing, he's been a celibate and studying the Vedas. He's 75 years old. He's pakka, he takes three baths a day. He chants his mantras, all those things, right? All, you know, really good, you know. And then someone, you know, um, comes to the temple, Bhakta Burfi. <laughs> we'll give him that name, right? And just starts, you know, taking up chanting, Right? and really interested in Krishna consciousness. But, you know, prior to him stepping in the, in, you know, through the doors of the temple, did all kinds of, you know, impious things in his, life, in his or her life, right? On one level, Bhakta Burfi is more advanced than Swami Nikilananda, on one level, and on the most important level, because the Bhakta Burfi has um, the association of, devotees and therefore the association of Krishna and has come in contact with a goal much higher than Swami Nikilananda's and he's come in contact with the mercy of Krishna so obviously it's going to take him some time but he's like a green mango right everyone knows if you have a green mango eventually it's going to become ripened unless you uh, make it use it as a vegetable instead of a fruit right and make a sabji out of it but that's another thing right so um Whereas Swami Nikilananda, who may be pakka in so many ways, but if he doesn't have Krishna consciousness, doesn't, uh, hasn't connected with, with Bhagavan, with the, with the supreme personality of Godhead, but is only on the impersonal level, because imperson uh, doesn't, can't give mercy. So, uh, does that make sense? So that's why here, so even though, yes, definitely celibacy is important, but just being, practicing that kind of austerity, but not being connected with Krishna, you know, it's, uh, it's good, best thing would be to be celibate and Krishna conscious. <laughs> and really, for most people in this world today, uh, 
to really be strict in following regulated principles one really needs Krishna's mercy. Okay. I said a lot. Yes, Jiva. Hare Krishna. So, if uh, Nikola Nanda and Burfi Nanda, they both enter the temple, who will make more spiritual progress? Well, well if Swami Nikola Nanda meets you, and you give him some japa beads and you tell him quoting the Bhagavatam and Bhagavad Gita and all that, then he would be like, um, you know, if you have very dry grass and you take a match to it, right? So Swami Nikilananda could be like that dry grass. And then he comes in contact with Krishna and then he's already, you know, done, because this is what uh, Krishna says in the seventh chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, right? Um, uh, when he's talking about the jnani being like that, being very dear to him. The only, cha- the only challenge, another place in the Bhagavad Gita, Prabhupada says, the only challenge Swami Nikilananda may have is to uh, forego his impersonal mindset. If he's had it for a very long time, sometimes it's a little hard to give that up and really become, you know, go up to Radha Madamohan and pray in a, in a, in a, in a personalist way. But otherwise, if he can do that, then yeah, he's 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 uh, in good shape. Does that make sense? Bahunam jamanam ante gyanamam prapadyante vasudeva sarvamiti samahatma sudurlaba. So he he would be a mahatma, samahatma, a very rare soul, if he's a gyani, an impersonalist who takes the bhakti. So if you meet any Swami Nikilanandas, please bring them to temple. Other thoughts? Okay. Text number six. When Swayambhuvamanu saw that his grandson, Dhruvamaraj, was killing so many yakshas who were not actually offenders, out of his great compassion, he approached Dhruva with great sages to give him good instruction. Lord Manu said, My dear son, please stop. It is not good to become unnecessarily angry. It is the path to hellish life. Now you are going beyond the limit of killing yakshas who are actually not offenders. Anyone here ever get angry? Just me? Okay. When you think about it, how does it affect your consciousness when you get really angry? Yeah, Andy? You act stupidly. You act what? You act stupidly. You act stupidly. Usually. He acts stupidly. Okay. What else? You look back and say, oh, geez. Okay. Yes? You lose energy. Interesting. You lose intelligence. Anyone else? You lose breath. <laughs> Yes, you lose duration of life. Yes. Um, yeah, and, and you become, you can become very, what do they call it, like tunnel vision? You, become, you can become um, very focused, right? Because even we see in the, uh, in the pastimes of Lord Krishna that those who were his enemies um, were really focused on him. Like, you know, I wish I had the kind of focus on Krishna that Kunksa had. You know, in a more positive way, perhaps. But he was so focused. So we can become like that also. Sometimes we can become more focused 
on someone we hate or dislike than someone we love. Yes? The emotions flare up, yes. Uh, so everything you pretty much describe, if we want to look at it from the uh, Bhagavad Gita point of view, is the mode of passion and the mode of ignorance have uh, taken hold of us. So what do you, do you want to say something to you? Yes, so material anger causes degradation. Right. And the same thing with spiritual anger is very satisfying to Krishna because he incited Arjun to become angry on the battlefield. Yes, so we, so we, can, use our ang- we can use anger spiritually. Um, that would be, for example, if someone said something bad about Andy, then we would say, no, we get angry at that person who got angry at him because he's a devotee. So a devotee is uh, allowed to get angry at people that speak badly about another devotee or about Lord Krishna. That is a proper use of, uh, of anger. It doesn't mean you, know, you take a baseball bat and smash all the windows of their car. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, in one way or another, uh, usually the idea is that you, you try to defeat the person, uh, you know, philosophically or whatever, and if not, then just get out of, you know, uh, leave that place is the way I think Prabhupada words it, right? Yeah. Um, from this, from the purport, it says from, oh wait, no, let's move on. Text eight. My dear son, the killing of the sinless yaksha, which you have undertaken, of the sinless yakshas, which you have undertaken, is not at all approved by authorities. And it does not befit your, our family which is supposed to know the laws of religion and irreligion. My dear son, it has been proved that you are very much affectionate towards your brother and are greatly aggrieved at his being killed by the yakshas. But just consider, for one yaksha's offense, you have killed many others who are innocent. So if he's saying, well, if you think that you're trying to prove your love for your brother by doing this, you're doing it in the wrong way. So it's interesting also, great, great devotee making a big, big mistake. Um, of course, like we said, the people that die on this battlefield, they get elevated to such a loka. But still, his grandfather is saying, Rook, stop. Yes, Prabhu. Microphone? And uh, we can also say that uh, it's the king's responsibility to, to protect the subjects, right, Prabhu? Right, yes. So he's doing his duty, so... Well, yeah, but they, why they, they weren't offending anyone, so he didn't have to, uh, the yakshas weren't, that's Swayam Bhuvamanu's point. If, they were, if the yakshas were indeed ca- causing harm to so many different citizens and all that, yes, of course. But he's kind of saying, no, most of them were innocent. Yeah. Um, right? Text 11. It is very difficult to achieve the spiritual abode of Hari in the Vaikuntha planets. For you are so fortunate that you are already destined to go to that abode by worshipping him as the supreme abode of all living entities. Because you are a pure devotee of the Lord, the Lord is always thinking of you and you are also recognized by all his confidential devotees. Your life is meant for exemplary behavior. I am therefore surprised. Why have you undertaken such an abominable task? And a wonderful statement in the first two sentences of the purport. Juv Maharaj was a pure devotee and was accustomed to always thinking of the Lord. Reciprocally, the Lord always thinks of those pure devotees 
who think of him only 24 hours a day. So it's a give and take, our relationship with Krishna. It's not just, you know, we, we might get in the mindset because we're so, you know, we're thinking, I got to give to Krishna, I got to surrender to Krishna, that it's all one-sided. No, the, the devotee is, tries to always think of Krishna, and Krishna always thinks of his devotee. And of course, he can think of so many unlimited devotees, it's not, it's not a problem for him. Right? Um, just like in the Brihat Bhagavatamrita, when um, Gop Kumar finally returns to the spiritual world, right? Krishna embraces him, and, you know, I've been missing your association, <laughs> basically. Any thoughts on that? Okay. 13. The Lord is very satisfied with his devotees when the devotee greets other people. This is a very important instruction. Now, this is one of those ones that this is an instruction for us. The Lord is very satisfied when his devotee, uh, with his devotee, when the devotee greets other people with tolerance, mercy, friendship, and equality. First sentence of the purport, it is the duty of an advanced devotee in the second stage of devotional perfection to act in accordance with this verse. And then the last sentence is, such treatment by the devotee is very much appreciated by the Supreme Lord. It is said, therefore, that a saintly person is always tolerant and merciful. He is a friend to everyone, never an enemy to anyone, and he is peaceful. There are some, these are some of the good qualities of a devotee. So, when Prabhupada refers to the second stage, he's talking about what Sanskrit is called madhyama. There's three levels of devotees. The kanishta, the neophyte, the beginner, madhyama, middle, and uttama, the highest. So generally for us, the aim right now is to become uh, a madhyama. And that mean, that's the second stage. And that means that we worship the Lord, we make friendship with the devotees, we try to give some uh, help to the innocent, and for the few that are envious, we avoid them. Right. Um, so this is someone who's quite strong in Krishna consciousness. So it's, uh, it's our duty, therefore, to really try to practice this. So when you think about your past, last week of your life, how tolerant were you? How merciful were you? How friendly were you? And how much did you treat people equally? So you can, you can gauge. Uh, at one time, uh, one place, Srila Bhaktivinoda Thakur, so Srila Prabhupada's guru's father, right, uh, said that every codice, right, we have a codice, the 11th day of the waning and waxing mood, moon, should be in about six days from now, I think. Um, he said you, you can look back at the last two, because it's every two weeks, basically. Right? You can look back at the last two weeks and think, how have I made advancement in spiritual life in Krishna consciousness in these past two weeks? And here's one way to gauge. How tolerant have I been? How merciful have I been? How friendly have I been? How, how have I treated people equally? Knowing that Krishna is in everyone's heart. So we won't go around the room and ask you right now to <laughs> say, but this is, this is important, right? Because it says his Lord is satisfied with his devotee when the devotee greets other people in this way. 
And then Prabhupada paraphrases a, uh, at the end of the purport, it's actually a uh, paraphrase of a famous verse, Tatikshava Karunika, um, that was so said by Kapiladev in Canto 3, is that right? That uh, Tatikshava, tolerant, Karunika, merciful. Um, friend to everyone. And... Uh, one whose enemy is uh, one who is never an enemy to anyone, and is peaceful. How peaceful have you been the last two weeks? No. <laughs> okay. Any thoughts, comments, or questions on this? Yes, Andy. Microphone is somewhere. I think of all those, peaceful is the hardest one. Because it's kind of like a bottom line, right? If yeah, you, it's like if, a bottom line. If you found realization with Krishna, then it's very easy to be peaceful because you have no worries, no fears, or nothing bothering you. Right. Yes, and Krishna says in the Gita, there's three things. Oh, you only have to know three things. Well, I guess you have to know them and act on them, and then you'll be peaceful. Bhaktaram Yagatapasam, that all of our activities are meant for his pleasure instead of for our pleasure. Sarva Loka Maheshram, that he owns everything. Everything else is, it's all borrowed plumes, as Prabhupada would sometimes say, right? Uh, and perhaps most important, Surit Dham Sarva Bhutanam, that he's our friend. And then if you know that, Gyatva means to know. You know, mom, Gatva Namam, you know those things about Krishna, about me, Krishna says. You reach uh, you attain Shanti. Peace. Yes, microphone. So, is there the concept of like being in debt to guru, society, and parents? Being. Like having a debt to. A debt. Um, well, that's, intra- that's a great question. So, what's that verse in the fourth canto about debt? So, like, I've been reading that sometimes you have a debt to your parents, mm-hmm. to your guru, and to society in general, and kind of... You, yeah, yeah. That, that's the demigods, right? You're, you're, yeah, of course. Ancestors. Ancestors, right, right, right. Because in one sense, you know, on a certain platform, you under, we can understand that, right? Our parents brought us up into this world and they fed us. And, and of course, they had parents and they had parents and they had parents, and, right? Like that. Um, and then, but the, 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 that verse goes on to say that, um, that for one who takes shelter of Krishna, um, you know, um, all debts are paid off. Right? It's just like, uh, I mean, this, is, this is a small example, but I, they say that some people, they, when they like to do a good deed for someone, right? They go, when they're going through a, the, uh, like a, a toll, like on a tunnel or something like that, they say, oh, they, they pay for the person behind them. They may not even know the person, but just doing, a, and they say, okay. You, then they, they pull up and say, no, it's already paid for, tell them. So someone just cleared their debt. So Krishna does that. He clears our debt. Um, to all the, and this is, um, this is an, this is a really interesting point. Um, for me, for example, when, um, 
Iskan was at a different time and different place, we could say, in some ways. But it was, it was uh, I, so I became interested in Krishna consciousness in 1976. And I um, became a renunciate, I became a brahmachari, like we heard here, right? And um, knowing that verse, I, I, I got the courage to drop out of school, which, you know, obviously my mother was not happy with at all not even in the least, <laughs> and just really, you know, give up all my material pursuits. I was getting really good grades, and I'm probably going to be a lawyer, and, uh, you know, um, like that. Uh, and, but that gave me the courage to do that. Now, we do have to be a little careful not to uh, prematurely do that, right? Because uh, otherwise it can be like, uh, you know, you, uh, you, you ever... You know, you renounce something, and then a little while later, you want it back. <laughs> but then you, but then you broke all the relationships, for example, right? Like that. Um, so, uh, there, what's that song? There's a song by um, Akendra Prabhu about the mode of passion. What I thought I wanted, I decided I don't, and what I want right now won't be long till I won't. Um, Monday I gave it away anyway then Tuesday I wanted it all back <laughs> I'm in the mode of passion so yes so the, this is, it is true that Krishna is the supreme father and if we look at things from a bigger picture right our real debt he's our real father our real debt is towards him if we take shelter of him that's, that's the ultimate spiritual reality that doesn't necessarily negate our other relationships though you know, so so I, you know, in my I was very immature. I was seventeen years old, and so I, I think I really hurt my mother by the abruptness in which I renounced everything. Um, and so if I if I if I knew now if I knew if I lived then and knew what I knew now, I would have done it a little differently. I might have still done the same thing, but I would have been much more kind to my mother, things like that. So. A devotee can, even Srila Prabhupada, um, when uh, two, two brothers uh, in very early in Krishna consciousness movement uh, joined the temple, Brahmananda and Gargamuni, and uh, their mother came to the temple, and Prabhupada said, pay obeisances and touch her feet. <laughs> and they were like, they, they knew that their mother's like, they were not going to know what to make of that, but anyway, they did it. They paid obeisances and touched her feet. <laughs> right. So, so the debt is cleared by Krishna, but then we uh, still deal with the, those debts in a respectful way. Just like a devotee doesn't worship the demigods, right? But is respectful to demigods, right? So similarly, we might not, you know, worship our mother and father like we do Lord Krishna, but we certainly acknowledge what, what they've done for us. Is that all right? Yeah. Henry? Um, well, you already answered my question. Okay. I'm, I'm very happy you did drop out of school and you're here today. <laughs> <laughs> well, 27 years later, I went back to school, <laughs> which is kind of funny. And the other, the cool thing about that is how Krishna protects you. So I, so I didn't get my bachelor's degree, but I got accepted into a master's degree program even without a bachelor's degree um, just because they thought I had life experiences as a devotee. Yes, Manaj. So, Prabhu, uh, so... 
if this is the subject on mind, how, uh, you know, so now I'm taking to Krishna's shelter and I'm not there yet. Uh, it's a gradual process. So right. handling responsibilities and taking to this process and, you know, uh, trying to learn and trying to get there. At the same time, uh, we know debts are there and we need to keep good relationships and be kind to, yeah. you know, respective parties. So this question does come to the mind that, uh, is it like when you're 100% surrendered, then debts are clear? Or uh, not to, you know... I don't know about that. Uh, what does 100% surrender even mean? Because it's a, it's, it's, it's a relationship. Our relationship is a relationship with the person, Krishna. Um, it, it's, 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 a, it's a sensitive balance. But we should always remember that our, you know... The way I see it, we should... It's a urgent matter to be Krishna conscious. Life is short. We're so fortunate to get a human form of life even. Right? There's so many other species of life. We're so fortunate to get a human form of life. What to speak of then to come in touch with a bona fide spiritual master and bona fide founder Acharya like Srila Prabhupada. And then, and then to, you know, we have so much going for us. If we blow it... <laughs> Right, just because you know our parents wanted us to, you know, um, be a surgeon, and we're doing that 23 hours a day. I'm, you know, I'm exaggerating, right? But so, but my point is that that sh the urgency and the importance of Krishna consciousness should never be minimized. So we should have that fixed in our mind, and then deal practically with with life and our relatives and the world today and things like that. And they don't, they don't have to be incongruent. Right? They don't have to be. Um, matter of fact, like, like say, say in your case, you have a, such a great devotee husband. So it's not like, uh, you know, or he could say he has a great devotee wife, so he doesn't have to go take sannyas uh, to be spiritual. Right? You guys have deities in your home, and you invite people like on June 2nd to your house for prasadam and kirtan and things like that. So... Um, you know, ideally, uh, so we don't have to um, necessarily dis disrupt relationships, right? Just like, are you mother and daughter? Yes. Yeah, so you see another example, right? So daughter and mother both have the same spiritual interests, so it's, uh, it's, it's great like that. I found, I found one of the challenges when I, when I spent time in China is a lot of the devotees, uh, often the, the, the wife becomes a devotee and the husband doesn't. And that's a more challenging situation. But Srila Prabhupada would tell the story about his sister. And his sister was a very wonderful Vaishnavi. Um, but she was married to someone who made you know, some devotional, but really wanted, you know, he was Bengali, really wanted his fish. So she would cook fish for her husband, and she would take a bath, get out a different set of pots, and cook for Krishna and offer to her deities. <laughs> And she maintained her her household life in that way. Um, so so we deal we, you know we deal with things practically, but we uh, and not fanatically. But we should remember how important it is and how rare it is to get the opportunity to be Krishna conscious. Is that all right? Yeah. So if if Govind moves into the uh, ashram in Chopati and shaves his head and puts on saffron, how will you feel? <laughs> 
She says that now. Let's see. <laughs> I remember when uh, when Goravani Goravani was much obviously much younger, right? So we all know Goravani, many of us, right? So he. Um, it was it was interesting how how times have changed, right? So he 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 calls uh, Anuttama Prabhu and he says, uh, I I decided to wear saffron and move into the Brahmacharya Ashram in L.A. And Anuttama's like, No, oh, hold on a second here, son. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Let's talk about this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, his father. Yeah. <laughs> no, this is before he was married, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we have 15 minutes left, and we're going to embark on a very deep philosophical journey now. Um, one that I had decided. I would um, help us study through um, Buri Prabhu's book because it, it links this very well. I'm a little concerned with 15 minutes that we're not going to get through it, and and we're going to. You really have to get to the end to get the whole philosophical picture. Otherwise, you might misunderstand. <laughs> that makes sense, right? Because it's not the conclusion we haven't reached, but we can. Uh, start and just don't get too bewildered. <laughs> but, uh, so if we read in text 15 and 16, so this this is from verses 15 to 27, and Swayambhuva Manu is telling very deeply philosophical point to Dhruva Maharaj that Krishna, how is it that God can be the cause of everything, but it's not God's fault that there's problems in the world today. So this is a super important discussion. Uh, Christian people call it the, you know, the problem with evil. Right? Because right? the idea is, if God is all loving and all caring, why, how can there be things like you know, what happened in Pittsburgh this weekend or, or, or you know, people lying and cheating or whatever, right? The, the, the problems of this world. So it's a very, very important point. Okay, and it's explained very nicely in these um, thirteen verses. So um, first, Swayambhuvamanu it talks about well, who actually killed Juva's uh, brother? The creation of the material world begins with the five elements. I don't know if you'll be able to follow along completely because we'll skip around, but this is helpful. Jivatapurup uh, begins with the five elements. What are the five elements? Earth, water, fire, air. And one thing that people don't understand so much is ether, right? But everyone, even you talk to anyone in, you know, in this world, they, they all know, yes, earth, water, fire, air. Right? Um, and thus, everything, including the body of a man or a woman, is created of these elements. By the sexual life of man and woman, the number of men and women in this material world is further increased. Then, next verse. My dear King Druva, it is simply by the illusory material energy of the Supreme Personality of Godhead and by the interaction of the three modes of material nature that creation, maintenance, and annihilation take place. Okay? So Krishna has his different energies, the spiritual energy, the marginal energy, that's us, and the material energy. And part of the material energy, the three modes, goodness, passion, and ignorance. And through that material energy, creation maintenance, and annihilation, like the annihilation of his brother, takes place. 
Okay, so in the purport of 15, Prabhupada talks about this part of Manu's reasoning. Now, like I said, it, it, it develops over the 13 verses. Prabhupada writes, When Swayambhuva Manu saw that Dhruva Maharaj understood the philosophy of Vaishnavism and yet was still dissatisfied because of his brother's death, he gave him an explanation of how this material body is created by the five elements of material nature. In the background, of course, there is the direction of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. This is confirmed in the Bhagavad Gita. There's a famous verse, Maya Dakshena. Literally means under my eyes. In the ninth chapter, Krishna says, under my supervision, super, superintendence, material nature is acting. Swayambhuvamana want to impress on Dhruva that the death of the material body of his brother was not actually the Yaksha's fault. It was an act of material nature. So we get... So we get into whose fault are things. Let's continue. And stop me if you don't understand something, because I know this is... In the middle of this whole thing, there's this like incredibly deep philosophy in only 13 verses. So the ultimate cause behind everything in material nature, Prabhupada writes, is Dhruva's worshipful Lord. And then he gives an example in the... In the uh, 17th verse, the potter's wheel rotates and several varieties of earthen pots come out. There are many causes for the earthen pots, but the original cause is the potter. Follow? Who sets a force on the wheel. That force comes from his superintendence. The same idea is explained in Bhagavad Gita. Behind all material Actions and reactions, there is Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Godhead. So, so far it sounds like everything's Krishna's fault. That's why I didn't want to leave you with that. (laughs) So let's continue. Manu continued in uh, verse uh, 17. My dear Dhruva, the Supreme Personality of Godhead is uncontaminated by the material modes of nature. He's not affected by the material nature. He is the remote cause of the creation of this material cosmic manifestation. When he gives the impetus, many other causes and effects are produced, right? We talk about causes and effects all the time, don't we? Right? We say, uh, what is it? What was the name of the uh, hurricane that hit Mexico? Florence. No, the one that hit Mexico. Just re- Anyway, there, Willie? Here's Willa? Anyway, it's, we're saying that yesterday we got the remnants of that hurricane. So the cause was the hurricane coming across Mexico and through the uh, Tennessee and Kentucky, et cetera, and coming here, and the effect was the rain, right? So we always talk about cause and effect all the time, right? I got in, I got in a car accident because it was, it was slippery roads or whatever, right? We talk about cause and effect all the time. It's saying the remote cause, the original cause and effect is, is God, so does this mean that Dhruva should hold the Lord responsible for his brother's death? Manu explains further, so I'm reading from Burry Jumpers. Manu explains further how the Lord is simultaneously active and inactive in the creation. Everything that occurs happens by his inconceivable spiritual energy of time. Time causes the three modes to interact. The Lord manifests all his energies in the form of time in the material world. 
This is in verse 18. It appears that he is acting, but he is not the actor. Everyone totally confused? I hope so. He is killing, but he is not the killer. Thus it is understood that only by his inconceivable power is everything happening. Okay, so let's go a little further. So despite his being aloof from matter, Krishna's aloof, he is the ultimate controller and cause of everything. Nothing occurs without his sanction, yet he himself does nothing. Prabhupada calls the Lord's actions achintya beta abeda. What does that mean? Simultaneously, inconceivably, one and different. Okay, now, okay. Um, and we'll, we'll, we'll go into this in detail next week because we have seven minutes now. In his purport to 18, he says, he does everything but simultaneously does nothing. Therefore, he cannot be held responsible for what occurs. It is, in the quote, it is incorrect to argue that because energy issues from the Supreme Personality of Godhead, he is the actor. In the previous verse, the word nimittamatram indicates that the Supreme Lord is completely aloof from the action and reaction of this material world. How is everything being done? The word inconceivable has been used. It is not within the power of one's small brain to comprehend. Unless one accepts the inconceivable power and energy of the Lord, one cannot make any progress. The forces which act are certainly set up by the Supreme Personality of Godhead, but he is always aloof from their actions and reactions. The varieties of energies produced by the interaction of the material nature produce the varieties of species of life and their reactant happiness and unhappiness. So, uh, so far, (laughs) um, the point is that Krishna creates this world. He sets it. I mean, I'm just going to do a little summary now and we'll get into more detail next week because believe me, it becomes pretty clear by the end. <laughs> right? But the idea is that Krishna creates us. He creates this world. Uh, he creates a spiritual world. And he creates our free will. And so it's up to us how we choose to behave based on our free will. Okay? So you can say, well, it's Christian's fault because he created this world, but how we behave in this world is up to us. He gives us that freedom. And ultimately we know that, you know, that you can't have love without freedom. It's not really love if you point a gun to somebody's head and said, love me. Right? That's not real love. Right? So, so Krishna wants to... Anyway, it goes deeper and further, and I'm just looking at the clock. We could do one more verse. So in verse 19, he says, My dear Dhruva, the Supreme Personality of God is ever existing, but in the form of time, he is the killer of everything. So we talked about this time factor, right? By time, he destroys, crushing and killing everything in existence. Time, the Lord's potent energy, dominates the material world. Time causes everything in creation to progress, and it disrupts all stability. Remember we were talking about that? 
you can't just think, okay, now I have my house in the suburbs and I got my job and, and all that. Is, that is, is the time factor going to allow that to go on forever? Right? Um, it doesn't. You know, there's, there, there's, there's no ultimate stability in this world because of the time factor. And you can't stop it. All the vitamin E in the world won't stop it. Right? And you get older. <laughs> yes. Time, moving and unstoppable, pushes onward forever. People hope that unpleasant situations will end, and they fear the end of pleasant situations. But time is indiscriminate and relentless, crushing everything and everyone in its path. All-powerful time is an energy of the supersoul, but is only an expansion of an expansion of the Lord. How powerful then is Swayam Bhagavan Krishna? Okay. So I think we're going to leave you hanging about this because time is up. But uh, what we're going to basically learn is that um, Prabhupada would ultimately say we are not dead stones. So Krishna is the remote cause of things, but in this world, people have their free will. And it's, um, it's not Krishna's fault that things go badly with us. It's, it's, it's based on our activities, our previous activities, our karma, etc. But we'll get into that in much more detail next week.